This is how we overcome the movement now. Here we come, reaching to the world with arms open, arms open, yeah. This is how we practice. Well, welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Sarah. I'm Erica. And I'm Steve. So, friends, we are in our fourth and final week of the season of Advent. And we basically have spent this entire season making a case for Advent, for time, for hymns, um, for just the purpose of celebrating this, this part of the Christian calendar year. And so, um, Steve, where are we going with our final week here for Advent? Today, we wanted to take a look at what are some like faith practices or devotional practices or spiritual practices that might be keyed into this season. We've, we've talked in other series about what you might call like timeless or unseasonal faith practices that people might do at, at any time, regardless of, you know, when in the year it is, whether it's, you know, uh, fasting or prayer or almsgiving or, you know, whatever else. But what are some particular faith practices that help make this season real or come alive for us and, and maybe how do they feed our spirits or, or deepen our spirituality? Cool. I, I, I love this mostly because I love December and I have some very like things that I do every December that makes it feel like Christmas is coming. Okay. Right. And I think that that's part of part of Advent. You know, it's things like putting up the Christmas tree baking way too many cookies because my spouse and I give uh, Christmas cookies to certain people in the church, like that do a lot in December, like the organists, you know, the receptionists, you know, those, those folks usually get a basket of cookies. And so we make way too much cookies on like a two day baking marathon. Um, But, you know, those are some of the like actual physical, tangible things that we do that, makes it feel like Christmas is coming and that if we were to skip that for whatever reason that year, I think it would make it harder to feel like, oh, it's Christmas now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I, I, I'm grateful that we can have a conversation like this to say that the experience of Advent in particular, and maybe the whole Christian life needs to have that sense of what we do in an embodied way, like things that we do, you know, with our, with our hands, our, our actions, rather than just that it's like things to think about for these four weeks. And then we're going to think about other things in another four weeks, but the idea of practices that, that help, help make this real or, or come alive. I think that's really, really important. And we're not, we're not always great at, uh, at doing that as, as Christian communities. Maybe this is one of those places, and since we are in the fourth week of Advent, you know, we're so close to Christmas anyhow, to talk about this is one of those places where practicing Advent can can be about, yeah, getting ready for Christmas. You know, we, we have been beating the drum for the last several episodes of keeping a pretty rigid boundary between Advent things go to Advent, Christmas things go with Christmas. Okay, fair enough, but there's ways that even in the getting ready for Christmas, there can be something holy and, and profound and deep that's nourishing for our spirits in that as well. If we choose to, to let it be that way. Yeah. And I think, again, the lines sometimes have to be blurred because of practical reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, like my, my spouse and I, we're both clergy. He has very strong capital O opinions about <laughs> certain things. Um, and for him, he very much likes to have that clean line between Advent and Christmas. 
And so if he had his way, we would put up our Christmas tree on Christmas Eve. Like that's what he would do. We wouldn't have any decorating until Christmas Eve. Um, but practically that's nuts. Like we, like that's not <laughs> obtainable because we're both clergy. Christmas Eve is one of the craziest, busiest days for us, mm-hmm. especially now that we have two kids and they're fully expecting wrapped Christmas presents on Christmas morning. Like we can't put everything off until mm-hmm. Christmas Eve. Um, so practically speaking, we have to put up our tree way before Christmas Eve. Like it's going to make our lives a lot easier. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I like, I think that there are some of these things that we do in Advent to prepare for Christmas that's done throughout the whole season of Advent. Like, and it's things like putting up the Christmas tree, both yeah. at church, because you have to do that at some point, And it's hard to find volunteers on Christmas Eve morning <laughs> to, <Yeah. laughs> to come and decorate the church. Like, so you have to think practically, when can you get people to come and decorate the church? What makes the most sense for your context, yeah. both in the church and at home? This seems to me to um, bring up an important but rarely spoken out loud rule that I think maybe it would be good for people to know that that pastors can all affirm. I I, I hope I, I hope I'm not uh, uh, speaking out of turn to say I think it's probably a fair rule to say uh, don't let your religion make you a jerk. Um, and, and and you know like so like yeah if if the 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 practice of whatever our, our piety might be would make it impossible to live with us or impossible to do things in or, you know, operate in a regular life. Something, something is out of whack there. So like, yeah, however we, however we navigate the tensions between Advent and Christmas, let's not let it make us insufferable. <laughs> and also disclaimer, cause I know my spouse listens. I don't think you are a jerk. Good, good, good. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, like, <laughs> like but he has very strong opinions, but like, he he's also very willing to compromise with well let's look at the calendar what does make sense that's exactly it like that at some point like you can say here's what i think in an ideal world here's what i would do but reality is that like that that's exactly where the conversation has to happen and i can remember years and years ago hearing the old joke um what's the difference between a liturgist and a terrorist uh, you can negotiate with a terrorist um that yeah. like sometimes it is possibly so fussy about here's the right way to do things in church world that we forget we're living on a planet with you know r- limits and people who are busy with their lives mm-hmm. and like you say especially in church life now we're looking for volunteers to do the things that we need to do for setting up a tree on their you know w- without pay on you know on their on their free time yeah we're gonna have to accommodate how can we work around people's lives and schedules and maybe even instead of treating that like it's a loss, like, oh, we're not, we're not, you know, God's going to be disappointed we're doing it this way. Instead to feel like maybe God smiles most upon us, you know, doing things in a way that can be loving toward our neighbors and not make it additionally burdensome. You know, like I think mm-hmm. how often Jesus will say things like, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad you all are, are tithing your mint and your cumin out of your garden, but how about the weightier things like justice and mercy? Good point, Jesus. And that like in our, in our, talk about you know making sure we're singing the right songs at the right time or when we do or don't put baby jesus out in the tivity like not not to become um jerks about it it seems an important rule of thumb Mm -hmm. so as somebody from a lower church tradition um who you know i've said before we don't 
celebrate Advent to the extent that uh, you all do as my Lutheran brothers and sisters. Um, Thanksgiving week is like decorating time for my family and for my churches. So my church that I currently serve typically decorates the Sunday before Thanksgiving after worship because everybody's already there. We make lunch. It's just easier because to try to get them out between Thanksgiving and the beginning of deer season before the first Sunday of Advent is just... another liturgical season. <laughs> we'll have to talk about it at another time. And then for my family, you have Thanksgiving dinner, you come home, you wake up Friday morning, Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> that that's been my family tradition as well is the Friday after Thanksgiving is decorating day, which is often just because practically speaking, we all have it off. You know, yeah. we've I, all luckily have those sorts of jobs that we have Friday after Thanksgiving off. So we're able to like, it's a great day because you have mm -hmm. leftovers. You don't have to cook. You have lots and lots of people to help. And so that's just the day you get the tree, you put it up, you decorate, you blast the Christmas music, you eat Thanksgiving yeah. leftovers and it, it's great. I was on vacation this year, so we did not decorate as a family the day after Thanksgiving. And oh boy, did it feel weird not decorating <laughs> the day after Thanksgiving. Like, so I'm right there with you, Erica, that the week of Thanksgiving is the week to decorate for Christmas. Mm -hmm. So this year I did not get my trees up the day after Thanksgiving. I got my nativities up. So I collect nativities and we'll probably talk more about them later. But I probably have, not including ornaments, 40 to 50 nativities I put up around my house. Got those all up on the day after Thanksgiving. Um, didn't get my trees up. Those um, will probably get up, um, will be up this weekend. So let me ask a question that, that may either seem so obvious or maybe one of those things we've never quite put into words, but like, as some, like all my life long, we are my family as, as a child and now as an adult, we put up a nativity scene or several around our house. But like, what is it that we think we're doing? And why do you suppose it is like this story? We all have little figurines of, but like, I don't have a figurine set for the feeding of the 5,000 or the foot washing. Like, what do, what do we think has happened? What, what, what is it about this particular practice or this story that that feels like? Yeah, that's that's a thing we do. And what, I guess, how does that become a holy moment rather than just moving around knickknacks? Because it's cute and involves a baby. Okay. <laughs> uh, I've never. Uh, okay. At one point, I was convinced that the history of the nativity was that it started off as a toy. The, like the nativity scene, you mean? Okay. Yes. Okay. But I have no sources for okay. this. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so, th this might just be as a kid, I had a nativity toy mm -hmm. and that was the one I was allowed to touch and to play with and to move around. Um, and then my parents had, you know, the nativity that was ceramic and I was not supposed to touch or to play with. Okay. Um, so that might just be where I got that in my head. But yeah, at one point I was convinced that it started off as a toy for children. And then as things often do, people grow up, but they like have a sentimentality for something. So they made it into something much nicer that was not meant to be played with. Okay. 
So, okay, if let's if we're going to follow that theory for a little bit, like then part of this part of why this this is a faith practice for people might be that this is a story that is important enough we want to involve children in and that this one definitely feels appropriate for children to reenact in a way that you don't want them to reenact crucifixion so like the central stories of our faith okay you want people to be familiar with that it's like a teaching aid or it's 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 about being able to to play or or interact with that way and the visualness or the the tactileness of it is is a piece of it um i guess it just seems interesting to me that um we don't have other figurines of other you know, Bible stories per se. Um, and I'm not sure anybody really wants a little figurine in their house of, you know, a live accurate, his, you know, crucifixion or something like that. Although churches often do have, you know, crucifixes and things like that. Um, some might have one up on their wall, but like I- interesting that there is this tradition associated with this particular story. Uh, there's also Noah's Ark. It's not as popular, but there's often figurines. Mm-hmm. And uh, like replica, replica, yeah, something of for for Noah's Ark, not quite as popular because it doesn't have a church season associated with it. That's like Christmas, and it's kind of a it's kind of a sanitized version of the Noah's Ark Mm -hmm. story too. Like it's sort of we're gonna forget that there's a worldwide flood that murdered everybody, Uh, but like I mean, a, a nativity set can be you know reasonably close as a mashup of Matthew and Luke. You'll have shepherds and wise men together, but okay, at least yeah, those are figures who are all there in some somebody's telling of it. I guess I, even even if this isn't the origin, I do kind of like the idea of focusing on the tactileness of this. That like, if there's something that the season of incarnation is all about, if there's something uh, that Jesus' birth is all about, it's about the God who becomes touchable, as scandalous as that idea is. I mean, after you know how many thousand years of the ancient Israelite mm-hmm. faith saying God is beyond all form and can't be touched or seen, and anything that's you know you make is a, is an idol that tries to image God. Now God goes yes, and yet I here I can be in a baby. Um, there's something really beautiful about like the focus on a God who is tactile and touchable and maybe even a fragile too. I mean, like that's a piece we're not always good at or, or don't always focus on, but like God's not just mighty and all powerful send and lightning bolts, you know, like Zeus from Mount Olympus uh, or, you know, like a pillar of fire from Mount Sinai, but that God becomes fragile and breakable in this human child. That seems like a really beautiful and important idea that maybe is best communicated in ceramic or something small and fragile than a sermon on it. And the folks and the people involved in the nativity, you have the shepherds, the the lowly, you know, the lowly of the lows in the culture and the wise men who are Gentiles. Like, and I think that might lead to partially why we put it into figurine form. It's just a reminder of the people that came to greet this fragile child. Because when you think about the crucifixion, you know, Mary, his mother is there. John's there, the beloved disciple, whoever, you know, but there's no, really nobody else, and, you know, and you don't think of Mary or the disciples or anyone that's standing there besides the guards, like touching mm-hmm. Jesus, mm-hmm. Um, where, you know, everybody wants to hold a baby. Yeah. You know, babies are cute and they smell good. So, <laughs> you know, most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> there are new car scent. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, okay. So like that, those are pieces of the story that even if nobody sat around, you know, five centuries ago and said, "Hey, here, here's why I'll invite the invent the nativity set." Those are valuable things that could be brought out of this practice. So whether you're doing it on your own or whether you're doing it with a household of people or using it as a 
moment in worship with children, the idea of emphasizing, yeah, God becomes touchable. God becomes fragile. And look at this motley crew of outsiders that God has gathered mm-hmm. around, you know, these foreigners from other countries like the Magi, the shepherds who are the nobodies, um, the, you know, for that matter, Mary and Joseph are out of towners as well. I mean, like that, that's, that's something that's worth uplifting from, from the story. Yeah. Um, are there other practices that are regularly a part of your lives in this season of Advent or getting ready for Christmas? Uh, so, so along with the nativities, um, part of my family's practice is hiding baby Jesus. Okay. Right. Is that um, we, it depends on the year and what nativities we are putting out. Um, but sometimes it's just, we have the main nativity and that's the one that we don't have baby Jesus out. And then the rest, we don't worry about because, you know, I don't have nearly as many nativities as Erica, but like, you know, if you do it for all of the baby Jesus's and all of your nativities, that's a lot. And sometimes Mm -hmm. baby Jesus isn't removable, but, um, for at least the, the main nativity, we will put baby Jesus away in a place that the adults know of, but not the children. And um, baby Jesus is missing in action until Christmas morning. And that's when we put baby Jesus out to symbolize that Christmas is here. Um, Jesus has been born and, you know, it's now Christmas tide. Um, But yeah, we, we tend to hide baby Jesus. So again, we also slowly move the, the wise men. So that they also, so that they don't arrive until epiphany. Mm -hmm. Yep. 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 We do that with uh, our, our sets as well. Yeah. Uh, and so like, there's a way of like visually letting, letting these figurines be part of a story then as well. Mm-hmm. Like it's it, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe the, maybe the nice ceramics that you have isn't a, isn't something to play with, but it's, there, there's still a sense of there's a story that's unfolding there that, yeah, 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 yeah. I would love to do the Wiseman thing with my church, but there's just not a whole lot of places to kind of set them around the sanctuary, yeah. <laughs> um, that I can move them every week. And like you said, Sarah, I have a lot. And so if I were to remove all the baby Jesuses and move all the wise men, the wise men would just be sitting with the wrong nativity sets. <laughs> um, as well as uh, I know we were talking before the podcast started that you'd probably have to have a drawer, if not a closet full of baby Jesuses. <laughs> yeah. Um, at least for the ones that, like you said, can be removed because a lot of them cannot. Um, but I, a couple of years ago, I found a, um, a Facebook page, which I love to follow. Um, this time of year called the wandering wise men mm-hmm. it's kind of like elf on the shelf but with these little wise men figures and the camel yeah um i i love like every morning i open my facebook page and they're at the top of the page and i'm like what adventure are they on today like yeah. it's really cute and um you know if i ever have kids someday i would love to do something i'd much rather do that than elf on the shelf yeah um with them and we're like okay where are the wise men today let's yeah you know there were a couple of years where um, I took the uh, backup bench warmer nativity set that the church owns. Like they, they have a nice set and there was one that was clearly had been used before, before it got replaced with the new nice set. So I took, the, it's just a, it's a Mary and Joseph. There's nobody at Mary and Joseph. And I'd take pictures of them all around different places around our County. Um, and, and for me, it was, it was like a, a spiritual practice of like imagining 
these as real people like in the midst mm -hmm. of real life in the real world and like and while i don't know if anybody else got anything out of that for me it was it was a it was a, a cool uh like it was it was a way of connecting this that this is different than a fable or a fairy tale of a once upon a time but like this is about people who live and and struggle and in in real life and and it begs that question too about like you know, how, how will I respond to the presence of Christ, not just a long time ago, but when he shows up in my life as well. I'm, I'm reminded every year this season of a, a quote from one of Martin Luther's Christmas sermons. Uh, and he goes something like, everybody says, oh, if only I had been there, I would, I would have welcomed Mary and Joseph. I wouldn't have said there's no room, you know, something like that. And then Luther goes like, but what do you do? You know, like if we would have been there, we would have turned him away as well. You know, we would have said, you're nobodies, you're not important, that kind of thing. Um, and he does come to us every day in the face of our neighbor. What will we do for our neighbor? That says how we would respond to Mary and mm -hmm. Joseph at our door. Um, and that seems to me to be another important piece of, of, of what happens in my soul in this season as well, that the vulnerability of a God who comes to a world that will keep rejecting Christ um, and yet that God doesn't give up. There was uh, something about what you just said reminded me of something I saw on Facebook around Thanksgiving time, um, but it was somebody had like for for the month of November had made some sort of gratitude calendar where they had um, like every day I'm going to try to name something I'm thankful for, and each day was a prompt of something to somewhere to look for their gratitude so that that as a way to prompt them and then they did something similar for December and so it was um but it was only through like the 25th so it was kind of like advent calendar meets prompt for doing something nice mm -hmm. um instead of gratitude it was like doing something nice so on like December 3rd it would be like um do something nice for a cash cashier or something. Mm -hmm. And like, I know that like the 23rd was definitely do something nice for your post office worker. Mm -hmm. um, and then like, I want to say the 24th was do something nice for yourself. Oh, nice. And then the 25th was something about finding joy or something, mm -hmm. but it was like all month. It was like a prompt of, doing something, something tangible yeah. um, for somebody else. And so it was like crossroads meets like advent calendar plus doing something. And it yeah. like, to me, it very much spoke as like a spiritual practice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but because I saw, I think possibly even on Thanksgiving day, it was something I like didn't save. And I've been kind of keeping my eye out for it ever since. And I have not found it. Yeah. I, I like that idea. Cause like, while I get that there's a value in just the sort of counting off days, kind of an advent calendar. And my kids are excited about their Lego advent calendar this year. <laughs> and, you know, I know people are excited about their chocolate a day. Advent. Like, okay, I get it. The point of that is counting days till Christmas. That's the day we're excited about. Um, but the idea of at some point you move beyond, I know how to count to 25. The next step or a, a way of taking that deeper is, yeah, how do I use each day, to be intentional in practicing kindness towards somebody else and it, whether, whether it's different people or different ways or um, that, that, that seems like that's a, a good grown up way of moving beyond the, 
I get a piece of chocolate every day to what kind of a person am I? Uh, and I, I like that idea. And I guess I, I would hope that the idea is that it trains us in those kind of habits that it's not like on December 26th, we can go back to being selfless jerks, but like, no, these, those, those form us, they shape us. They, they become long lasting habits maybe. And maybe you don't keep up with all of them all the time, but like, there's that reminder of at any point I could be a part of this conspiracy of kindness in the world. Have you seen the reverse advent calendar where like, instead of getting something like you start putting items into a basket to give like to the local food bank or something? Yeah. 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 I've always wanted to do that. I just don't have like a lot of spare things around, you know, right. I guess I could just go out and buy it, you know, and, and do it that way. But um, I, I like that too. Um, and maybe someday I'll actually participate in something like that. Cause I have like a little mouse calendar from Avon. It's, you know, I don't know how old and my dog got an advent calendar this year, but sure. <laughs> like, I, I've seen something similar for children where it's, um, like each day you put one of your old toys into mm-hmm. a box to donate. Yeah. Um, because like, I've been keeping that in the back of my head, but I'm waiting for my youngest to be a little bit older because he's going to have no concept of what this box is. And we'll think that we're just picking up and we'll put anything in right. the box and then be heartbroken when it goes, goes away. So I'm right. waiting for him to get just a little bit older. Um, because I've always loved that idea as a way of like a to weed out old toys that you're not playing with and um you know also then when your grandparents decide to spoil you you have more room for all of the new toys <laughs> yep one other uh practice that occurs to me that's been part of my family tradition off and on um that i think is is in that sort of that deeper category of moving beyond just sort of counting off days in december um Several years ago, we got um, uh, an ornament for our tree that's called the Christmas nail. And it's just like one of those big like carpenter mm-hmm. nails, you know, and you're the idea is you're supposed to place it somewhere near the trunk near the base where it's not going to show off for other people. But as this reminder, when you're putting up all the other sparkly ornaments like that, this story then connects to the cross and that this is not just the good news doesn't end with, oh, good, there's a baby. But like this is God's willingness to go all the way to a cross for us. And it does it doesn't it doesn't make it grotesque or macabre. It's not like there's a crucifix hanging from your Christmas tree to make it like glory. But there is this reminder of like the story isn't over here. And I've I found that in some years it seems like that's really really powerful to me and other years it's just like one of those yep i'll do it uh just because it's tradition. but i i appreciate that that idea of connecting this story so that we don't end up with like just these random disconnected festivals of christmas is one thing and easter totally like there's a continuity mm-hmm. there's a flow and that it's the same one who comes among us in uh in the manger who then goes to the cross and to the resurrection as well there is a tradition that my dad does that I've always kind of wished that I could do, but um, he, he makes ornaments like mm-hmm. Christmas tree ornaments um, often out of glass. Cause he's a, a glass artist and what he has done for the past, like 15 years is that when he is invited to people's homes in December or early January, and they know that their Christmas tree is going to still be up, he'll put a, ornament or two in his pocket and then as soon as he thinks nobody's watching him he'll hide it on or in their tree (laughs) nice um as as a way to like give but like without expecting recognition or thanks um 
and part of it is that, but also part of it is my dad is a big jokester and he is excited for to like hear back at some point of they were taking down the tree and the decorations <laughs> and they came across an ornament that they didn't recognize and like confusion abounded. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's been his tradition for the past 15 years. Nice. And it's something like, oh, I wish that I had enough time to make ornaments so I can sneak onto people's trees. But also now with um, the COVID reality that we live in, like people don't invite other people to their homes in ways that they used to. So I'm yeah. not sure that this tradition will ever come to fruition for me. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it was a cool tradition that my dad used to have. I like I like the 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 sense of of gentle surprise in that too. Like there's something about the the Christmas story that I wish we could recapture that sense of surprise at it too. That the since since everybody knows the plot, we know how you know. Like there's like the 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 plot twist kind of is removed for us. But like to recover the sense of like mm-hmm. what what a shocking scandalous thing it is that the one that we confess to be you know God of God, Light of Light, True God from True God is born in the backwoods, you know, in this backwater town of the Empire, uh, laid in a food truck off you know to a couple of uh you know a, a, a couple who don't have enough money to um you know offer the proper sacrifice when their child is dedicated to the temple like there's something beautiful about that surprise to the story here's this gift that's given while nobody's watching um and i i, I like the idea of being able to practice that that way and, and leaving an ornament behind that's really cool so on the topic of ornaments something my parents started for me when i was little was i got a new ornament at least one new ornament every year Mm-hmm. And so my my big Christmas tree is covered in all these ornaments over the last 38 years that I have collected. And every year when I pull them out, I, I love, you know, I take some time and like, because there's memories attached to all of them. Mm-hmm. And, and so um, it takes me a while to put that tree together because, you know, I, I open up this box. I'm like, oh, this one. And <laughs> I open this one. I'm like, oh, I love this one. You know, and like yeah. those memories come back and. And some years I put them like I start at the top in 1983 and work my way down to whatever year it is. Um, you know, so that's been a really neat thing for me, but I need to get a new bigger tree soon. <laughs> I'm running out of room. I, I like the, the way you mentioned that, like, that means there's a certain time you take with putting the ornaments on. And I think that by itself becomes an important, a way of turning this from being a chore into something that is, mm-hmm. dare I say, sacred. I mean, that, like it is. You, yeah. can, you can treat the putting up of Christmas decorations like one more chore, like, you know, well, we're done with mowing the grass, but we're not shoveling snow yet. I guess it must be time to, you know, put up the you know Christmas stuff, but, or this can be something that is, intentional and beautiful in that way and whether there are you know like young children around who you have to teach them how to do it and not break the things or whether it's you know all adults you can like but taking the time intentionally allows you both to savor the memories and also to make new memories in the in the the doing of it but that intentionality is important like you know in a culture like ours that is so quick to rush through stuff just to get it done to be able to to say this is going to be a uh, an all day event or this is going to be a whole afternoon and I'm not going to rush through it I I want to be able to appreciate and savor each thing that that's a a beautiful thing that maybe maybe we could all stand to recover and one of my ornaments not definitely not one of my favorites um partially because of memory attached to it I lost an uncle on Christmas day mm. um several years ago and um you know I'd always get a gift from him and my aunt uh, before Christmas and save it and open up on Christmas day. Well, that year it was an ornament with my name on it. 
Um, and so we got the phone call right before we sat down for dinner that he mm. had passed and I go home and open his gift. And so like, that's, that's a special ornament in a different way. Yeah. 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 And I, I appreciate too, the ability in a practice like that, that like we, we can acknowledge the bittersweetness that goes with looking back at past Christmases mm-hmm. as well. And again, like, I think anything we do that allows us to create that space for whatever we're dealing with, the joyful things and the, and the sorrowful things in this season, that's worth holding on to. Cause again, there's so many voices around like Christmas is the most wonderful time of the, you know, the year, gosh, darn it. And you will be merry. Like to say, how can we create space and time for whatever griefs we're going through or to remember and that the memory, you know, the, 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 the solution isn't let's just put away the ornaments that make us sad so we don't have to deal with it. But no, there's, there's something good about remembering people as much as there's also loss or sadness and grief there as well. Mm-hmm. And being able to hold all that up together. Um, I think that, I think that's important. It, it reminds me of, there's not that, that line from a little town of Bethlehem, the, the, the joys and fears of all the years mm-hmm. are met in each other. Like, I think there's something really good about that. Uh, even though that line catches me off guard every Christmas Eve when we sing that, mm-hmm. but like that, the idea of, of oh, the hopes and fears of, of all the, but like that, that all that's gathered up that Jesus hasn't just come to be present or incarnate in the midst of our happy moments, but has come to share our sorrows and griefs as well that 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 seems an important thing as well. Mm-hmm. I also think that that's why uh, if if you have access to a blue Christmas service, yes. yeah. that that is very important to do. Um, I ha- I've never really ever done one, but that's because I feel like I'm not the best person to lead a blue Christmas worship service. Like um, for those of you who've never experienced one, uh, blue Christmas is um, uh, a worship service that acknowledges that Christmas is not always a happy time of year, especially if you've just lost someone and you're grieving um, and that this is the first Christmas without that person. It's it's very important to recognize that lament and that grief. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's very hard to recognize on the actual like Christmas Eve main worship service that your church is going to do um so having that as a separate worship service to acknowledge and to process some of that grief i i think is very important um and yeah so if if you do have access to one and you yourself are grieving um i think going to one of those services this time of year is is really important yeah and even on the years because we we our ministerium here in, in in the area I serve does one every year. And so I've been a part of one for the last, this will be year number five, I think. And while I haven't been grieving in the same sense as obviously I did, you know, the year that my uncle died, which I had lost my grandfather just a few months before. Um, I still find those to be powerful services Yeah, because, you know, that it took me, my uncle died in 2002 and it probably took me, to close to maybe 2010 for Christmas to be joyful again mm-hmm. just because mm-hmm. of you know because of the timing of his death yeah um you know and so you don't have to just have lost somebody in the last year or in the last few months but I mean it can be lingering grief yeah. that it's been around for a while um but I always find those types of services very very powerful even when I'm not in, in a fresh type of grief. Yeah. 
I am reminded um, of the the song of Zechariah that sometimes comes up or is is used in in worship or I know it comes up in the lectionary um, in uh, in Advent. But that song that Zechariah breaks into uh, when he hears he's going to be the father of uh, of John. You know when when the when when John is is born and named and whatever and he it's you know blessed be the Lord our God of Israel. Um, but as part of that song, there's that um, acknowledgement of being delivered from the hands of our enemies and free from this, the shadow of death that like there is this realization of there are sorrowful things out there and we're aching for delivery from them. And mm-hmm. I think without that, without that recognition, Christmas can be sentimentalized and kind of made shallow. But like if if we're able to acknowledge the 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 sorrows that are part of this life that not only God has come to share with us in Jesus, but also to to redeem somehow I, th- I think that that's important and, and Christmas suffers or celebration of this good news suffers if we're not able to name the things that, that break our hearts. So we have now made it through four weeks of Advent and that is super exciting, which means that the next time we gather for Crazy Faith Talk, it will be Christmas tide. So next time we'll be wishing you a happy and joyful Merry Christmas. Um, but we do hope you'll join us next time as our adventures here on Crazy Faith Talk move us into a new season and a new series. Thanks everybody for joining us this Advent. See y'all. Bye. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.